Again, we always talk about the nerves that you feel at this moment as they have fired the car. And he is out, so he will get one more shot to put it into the field. And, and now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio Welcome to Dinner with Racers. Dinner with Racers. I'm Ryan Eversley. I'm Sean Heckman. And we went to Mexico. We did. Why is that, Ryan? Do we have a TV show? We have a TV show, and we wanted to do some TV shows in Mexico. Well, we went to Mexico because we were already in Atlanta. That's, yep. And it was honestly like a relatively cheap flight. It was shockingly cheap. And our boy Mario Dominguez, he didn't put us up, but he had some ways of helping us get some discounted That sounds uh, really shady. That sounds wrong. <laughs> um, and between hotels that uh, Mario helped uh, negotiate for us and whatnot, we, we figured we could do it yeah. uh, pretty cheaply, Absolutely. honestly. Not a whole lot more expensive than what we do domestic. The flight was like was like cheaper than it was to fly here this week to yeah. LA. Yeah, exactly. And then it kind of went down the sh- Yeah, then immediately we got shaken down. Yeah, by Mexican customs. We had paperwork. Yes. But somehow that didn't stop them from wanting several thousand dollars. Yeah, and, and then cash. And cash. And, in cash. And once we knew they wanted cash, we knew we probably had to barter a little bit, do yep. a little bit of back and forth. But in the end, we made it through the border into Mexico. So once again, an international episode for Dinner with Racers. Now, I have friends in California, Ryan, who claim I can't speak Spanish. Yeah, and they're wrong. Yes. They're 100% because wrong. did I not get no, half no, of it no. negotiated? No, no, no. You saved us a lot of money. Yes. And you got us to the hotels, you know, like or through the hotels. You got us through breakfast. You got us through a bunch of stuff. So uh, wrong. Right. Wrong. I can speak Spanish, just to be clear. Kind of. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, we've already done a Mario Dominguez podcast. In fact, if you heard our podcast from last winter, this is that same recording, uh, but we omitted a very specific section of it, which is the contents we shot for this television episode that's on Motor Trend. Tell us about the Motor Trend show, Ryan. So we have a Motor Trend show, and uh, it's on Motor Trend. (laughs) (laughs) If you download the Motor Trend Plus streaming app or uh, youtube.com forward slash Motor Trend watch, you can see Dinner with Racers there. And there's an episode called Bumped. It is all about the Indianapolis 500, but it is not about the Indianapolis 500. It's about the cars that try to make the show, because in recent years, we haven't necessarily heard as many stories about not making the show, and we wanted to focus on the story of a team called Pacific Coast Motorsports, who tried to make the race in 2008, and this is all about the story of the little team that tried to. Mario Dominguez is uh, no stranger to the open wheel fans out there, but he was the driver behind the wheel that tried to make this attempt to get into the Indy 500, and we find out his side of the story because, well, he was really, really eager to talk to us. Absolutely. Mario Dominguez will go down in his history of DWR is probably one of the best guests we've ever had because he couldn't have been more open, helpful, shareable. I mean, everything we wanted, he was trying to help us more than we were even doing it. So it was one of those things where like, man, this guy is the best. And now we're rooting for him in anything he does. Absolutely. So this is a story of his failure. Um, <laughs> so let's burn him. If you go back through our archives, you'll see that we did a full Mario Dominguez episode that gives his whole background. This is very specifically about that Pacific Coast Motorsports journey that he went through from 2007 to 2008. And uh, he uh, he brought us some tacos with cheese in them. Yeah. So we went to Mario's house, uh, awesome part of Mexico. We, we had a great time. I mean, we were only there for like two days, yeah. but we had so much fun we felt super safe couldn't say enough good things about the trip especially the tacos we had with cheese 
Will Turner, cheese. So the tacos had cheese. In, in Mexico. In Mexico. In Mexico City, Mexico. So New Hampshire-based Will Turner who Doesn't claims, know what he's talking about. Uh, if you go to the Will Turner episode, let's just talk about this for six minutes. Yeah, I'm in. Um, if you go to the Will Turner episode, the New Hampshire-based Turner Motorsports. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New Hampshire. It made a big deal that uh, authentic tacos don't have cheese in them. Yeah. I believe tacos are from Mexico. Right. Now, granted, the United States did invent Mexican food. We did. But regardless, Mexico City had tacos. With cheese. With cheese. And yeah. no, no, like, oh, Americans want cheese. Yeah, no. it was like, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's right there. Yeah. Yeah, if you want some. Yeah. We th- we went and had, like, street tacos. Yeah. At, like, this local spot. And cheese was right there on the offering. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. So weird. weird. It's almost like you should listen to the Mexican on this show. Which is not offensive because he's Mexican. He is actually Mexican. Uh, and not the uh, New Hampshire-based Turner Motorsports. So once again, thanks to Continental no, Tire. I want to keep going. Okay. So we have sponsors, Ryan. Continental Tire. Yeah, the Carlos Contact. Uh, uh, the smart choice in tires. Say, hey, when it comes to that YouTube, uh, yeah. what should people be doing? Give us a uh, give us a taco comment in the, in the credits Ooh, here. Yeah. If you can write, tacos have cheese on them. In the comments of the bumped episode, we will be very grateful you to you. You've done your part. You can also say thanks, Continental, or anything that you find interesting about it. We would love to hear your feedback. Take it away, Mario Dominguez. So Sunday, May 18th, 2008, did that day change your life? Totally. That day, my dream has always been to do the, five, the Indy 500 race since I was young, since I was, can, so ever since I can remember. And that's the one shot I got in my life. And uh, not being able to make it was a disaster. It really hurt a lot. So if you were to look you up over Google now, it would list you as an IndyCar driver, which is technically accurate here in 2022. Mm-hmm. But at the time, you were not considered an IndyCar driver. What were you? I was a champ car driver. Right. And that was the, the year that uh, IRL and champ car decided they called it the reunification. Right. It wasn't so much like that, I think. I think it just IRL right. took over everything. And they decided to name IRL again as... As it used to be before they split in 96 IndyCar. Right. Which so from 2002 to 2007, today, you would have been considered an IndyCar correct. driver. But there was one big race that your series didn't do. Which was the Indy 500. Right. Yeah, it was the, the crown jewel. Right. So you got to race at Long Beach. You got to do all the cool road all races. All the, the best road races. Some very cool ovals. Fontana, yeah. um, you know, Milwaukee, whatever. But not uh, not the 500. Right. Growing up, was that the dream? Because you grew up when it was one unified series. I grew up when it was unified, and yes, my dream was to do the 500. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, as they say, a race for heroes. Yeah. So end of 2007 season, you were kind of in a different place in your career than maybe you were three or four years prior. Correct. Right? So you'd, you'd run for some good teams. You were now at a stretch in your career where what was your next big gig going to be, correct? Yeah, well, I was uh, sort of... Uh, not didn't have a full time season in two thousand seven. Okay, I was racing for some teams here, some teams there. Right. Um, and then PCM, they gave me the opportunity to race with them. Right. And it was amazing. You that know, was at the end of the two thousand seven season. Correct. Right. And um, and then at the beginning to two thousand eight. In fact, I was going to be there. Had the series survived, Champ Car would have been their full time driver. Right. So the end of two thousand seven. You have a 
you have a deal in place to join the 2008 Champ Car season with Pacific Coast Motorsports, and it had some good races in 2007. For sure, it had yeah. some good races. Uh, you know, we did. I did only like three races, I think, in 2007. But you know, we were we were improving a lot on the the team and everything. And in 2008, in fact, there was only one race, which was the last one. It was the Long Beach Grand Prix with the Champ Cars. They now called it the Indy Car because they were considered the Unif- you know, reunited, whatever. Even though IRL had just raced in Japan, then they called it the Indy Car race in Long Beach. And that was the last race of, Champ- of that Champ Cars did, and we finished on the podium. And I gave the PCM team and the figgy family and tyler and tadavik and the whole all the bunch of guys uh their first podium so i was very proud of that yeah super cool um so end of 2007 did you know what was coming for indycar no yeah this news came as a surprise to us like i believe like in december or or even january or something that they say that's it you know champ car is is gone right so you're going into 2008 thinking you're set with pacific coast motorsports it's a funded team mm-hmm. You're going to be a champ car driver in a in an okay team. It's only getting better. Correct. Um, and your career is sort of back on track. Correct. Yeah, that was the whole idea. <laughs> and then they they come to this thing that they said, no, that's it. You know, we're finishing Long Beach. We do the one race because we have a contract. Right. And that's the end of that. And when you say that's it, the figgies said that well, they were done. Well, I said that's it. I said I meant champ car. Oh, champ car. Okay. Because uh, they they. The team was not going to continue doing IndyCar. They they made it clear ah. because uh, they didn't want to do the oval races. I see. It was uh, too much risk, and there had been a lot of drivers hurt in those days. It was a safety concern? Yes, it was a safety concern. And I think the cars that they used to drive back then in the ovals were not super safe. Mm. That's where drivers were getting hurt. So so basically, the, the owners of the team, the figures, they said, no, we're not doing any ovals. So that was the end of the team for for us. Right. But it's not like you knew that before the merger announcement happened. No, I did not know that. But it was very clear for almost from the beginning that we were not going to continue. As okay. soon as the IndyCar announcement came. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So things are looking great, and then they're not. And then they're not. Yeah, that <laughs> happens a lot in racing, doesn't it? <laughs> really? <laughs> Everything's been perfect for me. <laughs> Exactly. Which camera do I look into? <laughs> what yeah. date is it in 2022 when this goes out? Yeah, right, um, right. Anyway. I had a job. So basically, the Figgies, which were the source of funding for Pacific Coast Motorsports, they're out. The team is allowed to continue. The Figgies allow Tyler to keep this program going, but they're not funding a year's worth of racing if Alex isn't going to be part of it, which we all understand this. Uh, so what's the plan? So then... Uh, I was obviously trying to raise money to keep racing right. in the new, in the, you know, with the reunited IndyCar series. And Tyler, I was there with my manager back then, and another guy was that was uh, Flavio Abed. Uh, he was also helping us get the funding. Uh, Tyler came and we went to see two, three teams, mm-hmm. and Tyler had the best presentation for the for them and for myself and. With the least amount of money possible, because we, you know, were fighting for money <laughs> left and right to get something going, so we decided that was going to be the best option to continue with Tyler. And you know, I knew the the guys, and yeah. they knew me, they liked me, 
I thought the team was had potential, but I knew it was going to be hard because you know we're coming into a, a new series with guys that have been racing that that those same cars for right. years. Uh, everything was going to be new, and I did thought about it, and I told my manager, I said, "You want to go to the Indy 500 with a team with a team that has no experience at the 500? You know what it's like. Is this is what you want to do." This is the, is the only option we have yeah. because Tyler would do it for like five times less money than anybody else. Yeah, okay. Because he and his guys are willing to kill themselves. To exactly, make this happen. and they did. Sounds familiar. So it's like it's either this or nothing. Yeah. And I knew it was going to be complicated. Yeah. Okay. So going back a step, so Pacific Coast Motorsports has zero funding um, going into the season with the figgies gone. In terms of you being the uh, famous Mexican driver. What was the scene at that time? Because a lot of the big names, yourself, Adrian Fernandez, Michelle Jordan, seemed like you were kind of the only big name in town at that point. We were the only names in town. Among yeah, big Mexican, among Mexican yeah. race fans, yes. Yeah. yeah, we were. So did, was there an attitude that maybe this would help your case that you could go out and find funding? Yeah, well, that attitude is, uh, let's say it was not going to hurt me to yeah. find funding. Sure, sure. Yeah. But it was not going to help. Um, <laughs> Again, in racing, you guys know how hard it is, yeah. is to get any kind of sponsors, any yeah. kind of funding. Yeah. It's almost impossible. Especially in such a short amount of time. In short amount of time or yeah. long amount of time. Mm -hmm. it's, that's why I haven't been racing in the U.S. the past years. Oh, we'll get that. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, it's hard to get any money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's always been. What was your first uh, opinion of PCM when you first got to see them up close and how they operated? I thought they were awesome. Yeah. I thought they were a bunch of cool guys. Everybody had the best attitude. The first time I went to their shop in Pacific Coast Highway, <laughs> uh, everybody was so cool. Tyler's, Tyler's like a, you know, California surfer dude. <laughs> um, I thought it was, it was a great group of people. I, that was my first impression. Was your first impression when you actually drove for them or did you like see them in the distance previously and go, what the hell is all that? Well, of course, I had seen them in the distance, and I saw how they operated, mm -hmm. and, and I thought oh, it looks like a like a cool team. But when they actually asked me if I if I wanted to drive for them, I was like, sure, you know. I think they gave me a test or something, and they were happy with me. So I was I was excited because it was like a fresh start with a bunch of uh, fresh people that mm -hmm. had a really cool attitude, and uh, you know, nothing in their back of their their heads, just. Uh, trying to move forward and, and get it going. So you you had, you know, a lot of experience and success with Herdez, which is, you know, arguably pretty solid team. Then you moved to Forsyth, which is the team at the time in Champ Car. I mean, like the names yeah. that run with them are no slouches ever. That's always top top. Yeah, Forsyth and, and Newman Haas were the top teams back then. Yeah. And so from moving from that program to PCM, this must feel like it's going to be your last shot at, you know, staying in an open wheel car at the highest ranks. Well, I never th never thought about it maybe being my last shot, but I knew it was a good shot, mm -hmm. you know, because I had I had raced after that. Uh, I raced with Dale Coyne. I raced with Rocket Sports. Mm -hmm. And then PCM saying, okay, we have something solid. You know, we're going to build a basis. You know, we want you as a driver. I thought, wow, that's I'm very happy to start something like mm -hmm. that because I had the experience of already doing it with Herdes. Yeah. Where we started from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So prior to that, you, you know, you've driven with the biggest team 
Forsyth. Um, and then sort of halfway through a season, it, it ended, and it didn't sound like it ended particularly well. Um, no. Yeah. And so you didn't have a full-time ride after that. You drove for the next season, but it was a couple races with yeah. this team, a couple mm-hmm. races with that yeah, team. Yeah, that was like super sub. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like, but, yeah. And that's, <laughs> that is not fun for anybody. Um, <laughs> no. yeah. So, I mean, really, since that 2006 season, getting to Pacific Coast, this was your like next kind of full-time ride that you really had to make work. Mm-hmm. For sure. I had to make it work, and... I know the team was happy with my my uh, every w- everything with my feedback to the engineers. Mm-hmm. With I had a lot of knowledge on on the development of the cars, what the cars needed because I had been with Foresight. I knew what things that these cars needed to be yeah. fast, like certain parts that you know you name you name it from suspension things, uh, shocks, whatever. So they they were happy with my feedback about everything, and I think they were happy with my driving because they wanted to obviously keep me for the next year. Yeah. When you heard the figgies didn't want to continue, was there an oh moment? Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Wow. So did you think you were done? Period with Pacific Coast, or did you already know that you want to stay with them and you guys were all going to figure it out together? I thought we were done, but then, of course, I knew there was an option because Tyler told me, you know, I'm going to keep the team. Their figures are helping me. I'm going to make it work. Let's try to put something together, you and I. So I knew it was a pretty good option. Yeah. Did you have other options? Yeah, we talked to a couple other teams that are I don't remember right now the names. But they were more... It's clearly uh, names that weren't that memorable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't yeah. Penske. No, of yeah. course we didn't have that, those <laughs> amounts of money. Yeah, there were some other teams, uh, IndyCar teams. That yeah. How does the search for funding begin when you know that your goal is we're going to go with PCM and we're going to the Indy 500? What do you then do? We talked to our friend Flavio Abed, who worked in the tourism for Mexico City, and his family. They've always been very heavily involved in motorsport. In fact, his uncles brought Formula One here from 86 to 92. Okay, so very connected. He now promotes the Formula Four championship in Mexico. He's always been involved in motorsports. Mm-hmm. So we presented him with the project, my manager, Antonio Marron, and myself. I said, Flavio, this is the project we have to promote Mexico City as a great you know, tourism uh, place it is around the world at the Indy 500. What do you think? He liked it. Of course, being involved in motorsports, he liked it more. He he's known he's known me forever, so he liked the the idea, and uh, he he went and he he was able to get some money to do the 500, mm-hmm. which was very little. I mean, it was. I don't think it was even close. It was to the for the 500 and all the all, a lot of other races, huh? Like Sears Point, Milwaukee, yeah. Dallas, yeah. etc. I don't even think it was more than $200,000. Oh, wow. It was very little. This isn't that long ago. This was 2008. Yeah, yeah. like two hundred grand back then wasn't much. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Back when the economy was good. Yeah, right. You know? Right. It was right nothing. Before. We had no money. Yeah. And this is for the whole thing. I mean, I think yeah. the budget for the 500 was like less than 130000 Like, can you imagine going to the 500 with that? Right. Did, no. did they write a check or was this a commitment to that money? There was a commitment. And he would he would be sending money periodically Uh to Tyler. So Tyler gets already a very paltry sum of money committed to him, but he only gets a portion of that to get to the Indy 500. Yeah, yeah. Tyler was working 
with very little, you know, budget all the time. In actual, in actual like every, cash. Every week it was like, you know, how, how do we keep the team going? Mm-hmm. Sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Because so the money didn't come at once. You it know, wasn't it was, just one wire It was being paid, yeah, as, as it was uh, kind of needed. You know, right. sometimes it would take three, four days longer. Yeah. But it was coming thanks yeah. to Flavio for sure. Yeah. In, but in only in small portions. Correct. So if you're Tyler, you're – you're taking this, you know, $200,000, but in small increments. And on the same time as that's happening, you have to order parts in advance. You have to get people paid for, you got to get people scheduled. And that's when you start reaching out to your vendors and all the logistics that go into it. If you don't make the 500 and get the guaranteed starting purse, this money is running out rapidly. Yes. It was running out rapidly. And, uh, it was a huge risk that he took massive, massive, massive. And, uh, he knew that we knew that, you know, going to a small team like that with very little money, the chances, were, you know, but we had to try. As a driver, that extra pressure has to make it even harder to get it in the field. Very hard because you won't believe how hard that car was to drive. And then well, so many <laughs> so many things happen on the, even from the first time, my first outing I went mm-hmm. on the racetrack. I was like, this guy is, is wrong. Right. Like I'm going to get, Killed here. I brought sponsorship to drive this. <laughs> no, and then they're like, "This was the rookie orientation program. Oh, that, God, you know, God, you have to right. do like I think the first laps at 200 yeah, miles an hour yeah. or 205." Mm-hmm. And I was can't hold killing it. myself Just at 205. Do- wow! I was like, "There's something seriously wrong." Well, so let's hold on to the month of May. Yeah, yeah, let's get through yeah. some, some more story points. If you have yeah. questions, please do. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, basically, the whole thing is is that you don't just show up May 1st to start doing the Indy 500. You've already scheduled parts, tires, fuel, people, all of that stuff. So if you're banking on that, you know, money from just starting the race, that's already a really risky position to be put in. Totally. Drivers are already under pressure to perform, to do well, to just do well for yourself. You know, like your peer pressure, you want to beat your buddies and you want to make sure everybody knows that you belong there. Now add in the fact that if we don't make this or if I do something dumb or just a mistake, it's on my shoulders that people aren't going to get paid a team could go under, mechanics could go hungry. Like this I would is, go under and I would go hungry too. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. Why do you think Tyler was willing to make this much risk before the month even showed up? You know, it's a very good question. I think he saw he sort of also saw it as as uh his one shot to keep this team going. Like if we were able to make it, we, you know, we were able to get some decent results at some races that the team could survive because he was now a team owner. So it's like, I guess he's like us, you know, all or nothing. Do you think it was the same thing for you? Um, yeah, because that's what I told my manager. I says, you want to go to the 500 with this amount of money with a team that has no experience in it that we, you know, it's, it's almost impossible. He says, that's the one shot we got. So if there's a consistent theme between yourself Tyler and everybody, everybody Pacific Coast, this is your shot. That was the shot. Exactly. That was the shot. Had 8 Mile come out yet? I, dude, I was literally just thinking like the burn, burn, And then I was thinking I mean, we well, could never license. To bleep that. We could never <laughs> license it. <laughs> so now the sound of a knockoff 8 Mile. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I'm actually really surprised. I mean, I, I feel like it must have been more important to you than 
than you're letting on because you've driven with foresight. So you know what a proper operation is that is like better than anybody. There is no messing around. Now you're going into the biggest race in the world against teams just as good as Forsyth, and you don't have a fifth the budget that some of these teams do. Mm -hmm. And you know that's not a good idea. Mm -hmm. And here we go. I knew it. I knew it was not a good idea. I knew it was the only chance we had to go to do it. Yeah. Because if I could have said, let's say someone would tell me, would have told me back then, hey, next year I have a million dollars. You're set for the 500, but I can't give it to you this year. But it's, it's signed. Mm -hmm. But you have to do it next year. I would have waited. Mm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This was it. Yes. Because I already know what going in into something with a team that has no experience in it. Mm -hmm. You know? And the operation was great. Everybody was professional. I had no, absolutely no doubts on the personnel. Like, uh, you know, maybe that mechanic's not good or my engineer, you know, he might not know. I was confident about everybody. Yeah. But I just knew we didn't have the money or the right. experience. Right. Yeah. And it'll be the only event you're doing. So you didn't just do a bunch of other races to kind of get ready to get the setup, to get where you want to be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. To get the team, you know. Everybody's joined. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. everybody joined. Even though they were. Yeah. Already a very good team in Champ Car. It still takes time to put it's it together. It's different. Yeah, yeah different car. It, it's yeah, yeah, it's not as simple as it should be. Yeah, I mean the Indy cars team, teams that go to the 500, they do so much development on these cars. Whether it's on the aerodynamics, the wind tunnel, every little thing, you know, I mean that's what they do. And uh, they had been doing it with this car for many years, of course. For us to show up with a new car. The engineer that we chose was very good, but he had not been in Indy cars for a while. And mostly, I think it was just the car. It was not developed like everybody else's, period. Like, we just show up, showed up with a car out of a box and, okay, throw it in the 500. There is no other option. This is the only chance you get to race the Indy 500. Mm -hmm. You know that it's not a good idea based on the funding, the lack of development, and zero testing leading up to it. Correct. But there's nothing else. There's absolutely was nothing else. And I knew it was not a good idea, but hey, it was the one we had. So you have to go take it. And to reiterate, the Figgies did not want to do this because of the danger involved. Yeah, they did not want to do the ovals, especially the super speedways, because of the danger involved. And people crash at Indy all the time because you're trying to trim it out, make it as fast as possible, mm -hmm. as low downforce as possible. And you're thinking, this is a bad idea, but it's the best idea I got. I was not afraid of uh, crashing, or I was not afraid of uh, all all that that you said about fast as possible. I thought it was a bad idea in case we don't make it. So you the were never, chances were high. So you were more afraid of going broke than I getting hurt. I was afraid of not qualifying. This is a real racing answer because the most common thing a fan will think about crashing is that you might get hurt, where most of us think we're going to get fired or yelled at or have exactly. to have the awkward yeah. conversation. Just be embarrassed. It's literally what we did with yeah. the iRacing thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the e-racing yeah. thing. Or have this interview at some point in my yes, life right. where people yeah. would be asking, you know, shit. Just imagine you go around the right. like, tell no, me dinner, when no, you, di right. no dinner with racers. Tell so, me when no you didn't qualify. You know? so, so you're saying getting hurt at Indy is easy. It's having to rearrange your furniture for an interview 15 years later is hard. We're two idiots. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I got you. No, but having you guys here is great. <laughs> just give us a minute. So the month of May is the big Indy 500 event, right? It's not just the race. It's all the practice, qualifying, the bump day 
the parades. I mean, it is a big deal for the entire month. Yeah, so back then they had the like the full schedule for the whole month where you started with rookie orientation. Then they had a lot of practice days, and it was a whole month of activities. Mm-hmm. Now it's shortened. Right. But um, just showing up at the Indy 500, at, at the racetrack, I mean, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, was like, oh, my God. Because, you know, I had been there or the first time I ever went. I was like only 18. I was like, I can't believe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to drive here. Yeah. You already knew then. Yeah, because we showed up there. The team was, we had the car, we had everything. Yeah. So tell me about the first time driving through that tunnel, knowing you're going to practice today. It, it's hard to describe the feelings with words, but you kind of feel like a superhero. Ah. And and for sure, I felt like, oh my God, my dream is going to come true. I'm going to be able to drive a car around this racetrack. And you'd already been really successful in Champ Car. Yeah. <laughs> like you're already a known winner. You're already good at this. But even then, showing up at Indy, you're like, oh, wow, this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. You know, it's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And to me, it, it you know, it had always meant so much. Like, ever, you know, ever since I saw it when I was little, all the races and this and that. Like I said, you know, it was like my goals are Formula One champion and Indy 500 winner. You'll hear stories about rookies coming in and, you know, they come from like big road racing backgrounds or whatever, thinking like, ah, it's no big deal. It's just turning left. This does not sound like the attitude you had. No, no. I knew that that place, uh, you cannot mess around in that place. And I knew that, I mean, all the stories and the history of, you know, things happening to guys, like you say, you know, these great road racers that show up and think it's nothing and the place will bite you hard. I mean, you've had teams like Penske not qualifying one year completely, you know, uh, with the best drivers in the world, like Fittipaldi or Nelson Piquet had. You know, it's not an easy place to just go there and and uh, and get a good result. Uh, to me, it just I knew I was I was getting into something special and something uh, with a lot of respect, anyways. I can tell how much it means to you because the second you started talking about the speedway. You start smiling while you're talking. I don't know if you realize that. I do. But you weren't doing that when we were talking about <laughs> other things nearly as much. Yeah. So it means a lot. Yeah, because the memories come back, you know? Yeah. Like I see myself there, you know, entering and says, oh, my God, I'm going to drive. <laughs> so you, you get to the speedway. You know your car's there. Your team's there. How quickly does the reality set in that, oh, right, we are still underfunded, and this is a monumentous yeah, – and this is a monster of, a, of an attempt you're going to have to make? I only thought about the underfunded thing and, and, and the uh, the monumental effort that we had to do before. Once we were there, it's like, this is what we have, and we'll just do the best we can. Get with on it. with it. Yeah, if you don't think about stupid things that are not going to help you. Just focus on get, getting the job done. And then how, so, quickly, how quickly does it come to light that this is not going to be easy? The first lap. <laughs> bad. <laughs> bad. Very bad. Um, you want me to tell you? Well, let's yes. say just just because like if a fan's watching this that doesn't understand that rookie qual- like orientation exists, yeah. just in case you know. Okay. So you get to the 500. You don't get to just go race there if you haven't raced there before. So even no. though you're a race winner at the highest levels, you still have to like get a license. You have to get a license, and you have a rookie orientation program, which consists of all the rookies who had never been have never raced in the 500. They have to go through a day 
of orientation. First, you go out with coaches, rig mirrors and things. They take you out to the track, show you different perspectives, perspectives of the corners. They tell you sort of what you have to do, how you have to drive there. It doesn't matter if you are a former Formula One world champion. If you have never raced the 500, you have to do it. And then they take you up to speed in different levels. Like the first, you do have to do like five laps, I believe like at 205 miles an hour, then another five laps at 210, and then another five laps at 215, and not go faster. Just sort of keep it at that speed. Sort of so build up mm -hmm. to the speed. So it builds up the, the speed, you know, the driver starts to get the idea and of, you're the, doing this, of the speed. And you're doing this in your race car. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so... We go out for the first time to to do some laps and and you know at a slow speed, which you know 200 miles an hour might sound like a lot, but at the 500 it's not very fast. You're going pretty slow. Uh, and at 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 the at Indy that's not very fast. And I was killing myself at 200 miles an hour. I thought, oh my, this, I mean, I'm this I'm gonna crash. Yeah. This is I cannot even do. I mean, I could barely go 200 or 205, I'm not remember, but it was very slow and I couldn't do it. So I went into the pits and white and like, Shit. you know, this, this, you know, <laughs> the problems have started. And right. And, and it's very common for rookies to come in to the month of May, having had some practice laps prior and private testing and things like that. Not for you, not for Pacific no, Coast. Your, your first laps at Indy as a rookie are genuinely when the first day of practice starts. Correct. And, and I went to the pizza set there's something wrong with the car. You know, I'm, I think I'm going to kill myself here in every corner. Fuck. So they discovered they had left the the rear wing the opposite. <laughs> okay? Instead of Is that, that bad? Cre creating, creating downforce, it was like... They the made lift. Yeah, <laughs> made yeah. lift. So it was... My first laps were no, no good, no fun. So the problem started from there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't bode well yeah yeah no. now you're you it, even though you're a winning driver in champ car you hadn't driven this specific chassis no formula the, the Lara the, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and you don't know the speedway you don't know how it's supposed to feel like is there a point I part know of how a car is supposed to feel in an oval doesn't matter what kind of car yeah I know how it's supposed to feel yeah so right away you knew something was I wrong I knew this this was bad yeah this was like holy <laughs> and then they looked and went oh we made an airplane <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So they, I guess, after a little while, they figured it out. So okay. <laughs> By looking at it. So then we started to build up to speed, and and we do the rookie orientation. But still, you know, the I was going, I wasn't going that fast. I mean, I was maybe turning laps at 216 miles an hour or something, and I felt like it was dangerous. And um, the only, the other problem too was that. They only give you a certain amount of tire sets for the whole month. Right. And the car would only work with stickers for like four or five laps. Oh. Because it's when it had some grip. Yeah. Yeah. So we were going through all the sets constantly because I would do four or five laps with a set of tires. I would go out the next and it was like, right. this is undrivable. Right. Like I'm going to crash. And today when we watch Indy 500 practice at most there's 34 cars you know bumping isn't a thing today and, and like this year in 2022 there was no bumping so you knew you were in the field so you didn't have to worry about tire burn the same way this was one of the most full fields in a long time so 
Yeah, I believe there was like 36 cars or right. something. Right. There were several cars going home. Yeah, so there was you, be being one of the slowest teams out there going in with no experience, you knew that making the field was number one priority. Was was race set up? But no, not at that point because we just had to make the field. We had to make the car fast for four laps, not for the race. Behind. Number one priority. The race I knew was going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Because there, there yeah, was yeah. there was no way that if we made the field, we were going to be able to figure out a, a race setup with right. what was going on. So all you're thinking but about is whatever qualifying. you know. Who, right. who cares yeah. about the race? So the it's not even priority one. The only thing you're concerned with the only is thing. those four laps of mm -hmm. qualifying. Yeah, the only thing. So then I make a mistake. Uh, I'm, you know, during the practice runs, I'm coming out of the pits, and the driver coach is like, "Okay, push hard, push hard, so you can, you know." Uh, practice for the race you know and i was stupid enough i didn't have to push hard out of the pits i was already killing myself and the racetracks like fuck, first i want to get the car set up rather than be pushing like this but you know i i got like you know just over suggested and push hard of course i lost it and psh, crashed yes. and how many days have you been in uh maybe it was the second day or oh, or, or second or third day yeah okay so first two days of practice yeah you've already been the thing yeah on a team with no money, and this is going to take some repairs. Yes, it's going to take some repairs. Some repairs. It was not hard. It was just like one corner, or something not that not that hard, not that difficult. So that was good. But anyways, one corner is still a big invoice. It's a big invoice, and when you have no money, it's a bigger invoice. And when the car is no good, then you have to restart everything again. So it's a. Anyways. Uh, we keep uh, trying to set up this, this car, and it's not possible. I cannot get, you know, I cannot have any grip on the racetrack. It was impossible. So, of course, I think what, two days later or something, I go out of the pits. I think it was the first lap, you know, like the warm-up lap, going very slow. I wasn't going fast. I turned in and lost the car completely in turn one. Another crash. In how many days? That was a bigger one. I think it was like the third or fourth. So two times you've hit the wall in four days. Something like that. So you're batting you're batting 500 yeah. on every practice day. Yeah. And that one was a bigger one. Yeah. It required a lot more money and a lot more parts and a lot more repairs. Because whether, I mean, they had already worked a little bit on the car before they tried to, because we had some support, I think, from... Uh, Sam, Sam Schmidt Motorsports back then, they were giving us some help, um, and they helped us with the aerodynamics of the, on the car. And you know, we have to set up the bodywork specifically for the 500. So things like that had been done to the car, not to the point where a normal Indy 500 car, yeah. but it was sort of done to it. So after the crash, that all gone. was gone. I mean, there was none of that. So, so all they, that massaging, all the little details yeah, are exactly, undone. Exactly, yeah, yeah, undone after the, the second crash. So the team, you know, worked hard. I don't know how Tyler got the money. Everything was repaired. I mean, it was, fortunately, it was a big crash, but because I was going slow when I lost the car, mm -hmm. it wasn't very yeah, badly damaged. You didn't have to buy a tub. Yeah, a tub mm -hmm. or gearbox or things like that. But still, you know, every little thing... At that point, like if you hurt, you know, the antenna on the car, it's a problem. Right. Well, not only that, but now the repair times, you're burning down practice time. Yeah. Correct. You're not on yeah. track. Yeah. 
which was not so bad not to be on track <laughs> for you <laughs> because I thought I was going to get killed every right. every corner. Yeah, yeah. You're saving tires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The car was that bad, and then we were going to run out of tires anyway sooner yeah. than later because <laughs> I could only do four la four or five laps with to get a read yeah. to to get a read, and the next laps were not. It was not drivable. Period. You could not drive that car with used tires, and you know that's why I crashed. Because the tires were used and just lost it. At any point, are you starting to get pressure from the team, from Tyler, or anybody saying, like, maybe it's you? Or were they like, we understand you know what you're doing, so this you must know, be You know, they always understood I knew what I was doing. Yeah, that's they good. Were, at least they never told me that. Hey, if they didn't make you feel that way, then that's, that that's they never, yeah. They're ne they never made me feel like, oh, is this driver, the yeah. guy that's Well, you're a rookie. You've never been here before. Maybe yeah. you just don't understand how to drive Exactly. The, yeah. But no, I had raced ovals and I had good experience and I had I've had such some some success yeah. in ovals. So no, actually I was they always uh, were very supportive. That's good. Yeah. Everybody. And if they're not, they never they never nobody ever showed it. Yeah, because you know how that can be as a driver when people ah, start to that's the easy. You know it is. It's such a quick. It just like, brings oh, we'll you just down. Blame it on you and you're yeah. like, well now, like and even if you know you're not the problem, you still yeah. feel bad. Oh, yeah. you know, and yeah. yeah, and then you feel you're the problem. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's not good. No, yeah. the team was always very supportive, so uh, I never had a problem with that. Yeah, I was always be very thankful because even if they thought it, they, they make never made me feel. Yeah. Um, no, it was very clear that the car was not. <laughs> handling and is I this mean, just experience with the team like they just don't know what the setup should be we didn't know what the setup should be i mean the engineer is very good the engineer we had mm. was fantastic in fact i am the one that chose him because he he had been a winner in multiple winner in indy lights mm -hmm. i could see the cars he would set up and all was he was amazing but right but somebody who knows how to engineer a car in a general sense is very different from being an indy specific engineer you don't have all that r d that other teams have mm -hmm. to know the specific wind tunnel data and shake and rig data of this specific configuration at these speeds and totally. so it doesn't matter who the engineer is if they don't have that data set it doesn't matter it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. Exactly, and and you see it with great engineers when they go to a not so good team, mm -hmm. the results are not the same. Yeah, right. When when they have the, all the tools from a fantastic team, right. then right. different story. Yeah. So unlike now, they used to have two weekends of qualifying, and you've just come out of two crashes. A lot of tires are getting used, and the car is just evil once the sticker tire wears down after a handful of laps. Mm -hmm. Evil once the sticker tire burns down and. Or even hard to make the speed with the new tires. I mean, the so even car when they're new, it's not good. No, yeah. it's not good. So what happens that first week in a qualifying? So then, there's you know there was a, the actual qualifying which we didn't make. Like you didn't uh, bother with it? No, on day one because no. you have four days to get this right. We didn't bother yeah. to do the first day, so we went like almost we went directly to bump day. So you chose not to qualify until the final day. Mm -hmm. Why? We didn't have a shot, and I don't think the car was even ready after the crash. <laughs> so you so, wanted every day to perfect the speed. Well, we – because we needed it. Because we had no speed, period. Right. Mm. I'm not sure if I remember. We did not do the, the other days because it, whether the car wasn't ready from the crash, we didn't want to burn the tires, save it for bump day, you know, yeah. things like that. Right. We were running out of tires fast. So – we woke up that morning going to bump day and it's like, I'm, I'm going to need to focus every ounce of experience, everything I've ever done in my whole life to try to set up this car and make it drivable, you know? So we started working 
you know, doing some laps, this and that, and with the engineer, and you know how it is. You start, you know, going through data and yeah. do some laps, and I don't like this, and I'm like, okay, this worked, this didn't, this. And we started improving the speed, the speed, the speed, improving the car, but also all the time with new tires. You know, we couldn't. Sure. And I'm like the, the four hours of practice you have in the morning before it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. So all the time with new tires. So finally we got, we got to a balance where the the car was doing the speed we needed to qualify with new tires. Like we didn't care about the old because we could, I couldn't even use them. I would yeah. use the tires for laps. I would try to go out again and I was like, in the pits immediately it seems like the only goal is get this thing in the show we'll figure that out later yeah the rest didn't matter yeah so we finally thought okay the car is at a decent balance with new tires we have a we have a shot at you know qualifying so uh but it was a whole day of work like I don't think I've ever been more focused in my life trying to set up the car. Because you're not the only team going through this. No, no. There's, there's some, several there's teams ones. now all trying yeah. to do this all the mm -hmm. time. So it's not just Pacific Coast and Mario Dominguez. Yeah. Yeah. There's Roger Yasakawi. There's Buddy Lazier. Yeah. There's Marty Roth. Yeah. yeah. These Marty. guys are all doing having the exact yeah. same experience you're having. Of like, this is the day. Yes, exactly. And three of them are going home. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, yeah, but I don't think those guys were having as bad as the time we were. <laughs> uh, in any regards, you know. But um, so we said, okay, let's let's try, let's do this. We we did some t practice runs, and the car felt good. Okay, let's let's go out do the qualifying. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember exactly, but I think back then you could be practicing and said, lift your hands. I said, okay, we want to qualify now. So boom, right. they would stop the practice, and then they let you qualify. I think so. You had to pull in and then you can go out yeah, and yeah. run. Mm -hmm. But it's whoever goes first. So if there's four other people that do it before you, you're now in line. You're in line. And come six o'clock. You're dead. It's That's over. It. Yeah. yeah. So if the guy that raises his hand first goes out right before six, everybody behind him isn't going to go. Exactly. Yeah. So I went out and we finally have the car where I wanted it to the limit where the car could be drivable and produce the speed that we needed to qualify so fully focused my concentration was absolute i went out do the run and i totally felt the wind picked up big time in the back straight like big time and i was like oh shit, this thing is slowing me down you know slowing me down i just slowing you down and um so i went in and and we made the field, but I knew it had been. It, they had been four slow laps so because you did of all the four wind. Laps, but you could just tell. I could tell that it was yeah. slow because of the the behavior. So uh, the speed was enough. It get, got us into the field, and then uh, I think Yasukawa, Yasukawa went out. He didn't make it, and I think Marty Roth too. And then uh, Lassier comes and he bumps me. So it was like. We have to go out again. It was almost like 10 to 6 or something. There was no time. So I knew it was possible to bump him again. But I knew we had to take rear wing off the racetrack. Uh, the race car, I mean. Uh, we had to trim it more. Because it just it just was a holding, you know, a little bit... Uh, it was sticking too much. So mm. we needed to trim it off a bit. So this car that's been trying to kill you all month, you're like, it's not killing me enough. Not at that point, no. Yeah. 
no. <laughs> I need to be no, more scared. No, at that point, the car was solid. Yeah. But that's, that's why I was slow. So good right. job, guys. Yeah, you guys got it where it needed to be. <laughs> yeah. Now make it worse. Yeah. Exactly. So I told the engineer, look, at, if we don't take rear wing out, we're not going to make it. I just right. I know how fast this car can go. And as you're saying that, he kind of like glazes past you and looks at a pile of broken bits and then back at you and is like, okay. <laughs> he said, you felt it. So if you say so, I says yes. Because otherwise, there's no point going out again. With this. We're just not going to make the speed that we need. So time is clicking very fast because there's only like 10 minutes to go. I was still in the car. And so the team is pushing the car to the start line uh, in order to make it before six. And while they're pushing the car, they're trimming the car. So they're little they're rolling working the thing, on, They're rolling the car. Moving angles. And moving angles. Now, why, as is that, you push it. why is that a problem if you don't know anything about race cars? It's a huge problem, okay? Because the wings on a race car act like a plane, like an, like an airplane. If they are like this, they generate downforce, which stick you to the ground. If they are the opposite, there's like an airplane. They generate lift and makes you take off. But if you do any adjustments on a race car, you normally do it while it's sitting still you do it while it's sitting still perfectly static the adjustments on a race car especially at an oval like the 500 are just by millimeters everything you change ride height shocks uh, wing everything is by one millimeter at a time because the car is already at you're at the limit so everything you move is at the limit and you feel it like people don't understand yeah you've got all these guys from oxnard Rolling a car down like over the bumps, mm-hmm. still like trying over to move the bumps, up. over yes. the scales, yes. you know, the tech Doing area, like yeah. a half a degree. Uh-huh. But, yeah. but they have to because there's no time, you've got to no get time. in line, exactly. So it's an understandable risk, exactly. But it's not something that you ideally would ever do. No, you, you'd never do it. So, you know what you're up against. You've been in a million pressure situations in your career, you've won races. What are you telling yourself before you get it before you go out? I said, I'm fine. If they take the, the degree of rear wing that I need, I'm going to make it. How much did you ask for? I think it was, I don't remember exactly, but it was like one step less. Like, just trim it down. One more hole or something. Every driver has this, when, it, when it, they're putting themselves on the line or the last lap of a race or whatever, there is this kind of checkers or records mentality some people have. Like... My foot's staying in, and I'm either going in the wall or I'm getting in the field. Was there any of that with you? That was the case. Yeah. And that's what happened. <laughs> so um, so anyways, I thought, okay, good. They made the adjustment that adjustment that I needed. I'm going to be fine, you know, no problem. So I went out. I did the first lap, and I said, this is not going to happen. I was already sideways. Just the first warm-up lap. Rolling out, I was fine. I was focused. I knew the car was going to work. I knew I could make it. It was okay. You know, I was confident that because of the adjustment that I had needed, I knew that's what the car needed, and we had the chance to make it. So I did the warm-up lap. It's fine. And the first qualifying lap, I'm sideways going out through, you know, turn two, turn three, you know, I'm just in the bars as I go through the corners. On lap one. Lap one. The stickiest part of the tires. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in the bars. And every time you go sideways in an oval, you pit. <laughs> it's the rule. <laughs> okay? It's just mm-hmm. the rule. 
And in a Makes super sense. speedway, even more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're practicing, you're doing something, it's like, oh, I got loose and I managed to keep it on the track. Pit, you know, fix it, adjust it. This was it. I went out, the the guy from the, the starter, and very nice guy. I think it was Brian. I don't, I don't remember. He says, all right, man, you're the last guy to qualify for the 500 today. You went out, the gun went off. So this is it. No matter. That's this is it. the last run of the day. And as I come out of turn two, I'm feeling the car very loose. So I adjust the bars, you know, to because the bars were being adjusted during the run to give it more rear grip as the run as the tires lost their grip during the whole qualifying run but at that point I knew I knew what I had to do over there I went like almost full adjustment on the first straight you know on the first So straight. you're out of bar. Yeah, almost on lap 1. Yeah, yeah. Turn turn 3 I'm side with turn 4 I'm like oh god you know totally sideways so I went you know full adjustment on everything bars weight jacker everything and I just said, I have to do three more laps, and I just hope it holds. And uh, sure enough, I came into turn one, and right at the end of one, just completely lost it, as you can see on the video. Uh, and that was it. And uh, all when I lost it, and when I was going to to, to hit the wall, my emotions were like the worst in my life. It's like. I didn't make it, you know, thinking about the whole team, mechanics, all the effort. It was sad. And it's funny when you asked me before, if you worry you're going to get hurt when you crash at 220 miles an hour, you don't worry. You worry that you're you're going to get hurt emotionally and everything else. I, I didn't care about the rest. So it was very bad, terrible. So walk us through it. 2% speed. You turn into one. Tell me about your head. I turn into one and just you know very light steering because the car was you know very Already very ready to kill yeah. You, yeah and then as i was coming out of one which i thought it was going to be okay it just went shoo. at what point did you know it was gone at uh, the exit oh so you were you were hoping you're like maybe even even you're maybe. like 90 yeah. degrees to the right you're still hoping maybe yeah <laughs> oh yeah and i never lifted on that long until i lost it uh i was not going to lift you had to try all or nothing. If he had been practiced, I would have pitted, you know, immediately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or something. Um, so, yeah. So that was it. And uh, it was it was terrible, terrible. The, the feeling and just uh, after the, the crash and when they took the car and just getting together with all the guys at the garage, and everyone, every member of the team gave a, gave a speech, you know, we all said a few words and they were very emotional. Everybody was very sad, disappointed. And, but at the end, I think everybody was proud that they had given it their best shot, but it was very difficult. I mean, it was uh, a terrible ambience, you know, at that moment where you have to have so many people that had worked so hard for something that I feel so sad because of something it's bad. Yeah. And there's nothing you can say to fix it. No. Nothing. No, no, no. Nothing you can say to fix it. And But hey, you know, we tried. But it was very bad. Then, I don't know if I was the next day or later that evening, 
the engineer told me, I don't even know how you made that first lap. According to my data, it is physically not possible because you did not have enough downforce. Again, what they did, well, what he told me what they did while they were adjusting the car running to take, bring it to the exit line, is they said that they messed up with the degree of wing and again they left it the opposite. <laughs> this is back to the way it was the first uh -huh. time you drove it. Uh-huh. And uh, then you generated lift rather than downforce. And he said, my data tells me that it's not possible for you to do, to do a lap like this. I says, well, look at the steering <laughs> angle on the first lap, and you'll see, you'll see what's going on turning to the right. Um, but it was very bad. Yeah. You crossed the line after your first lap in the show. Yes, the 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 lap was enough to to be in the race. Did you already know it wasn't going to happen? Uh. Yeah, I knew it was a 50-50% chance that he was going to be able to do it. That was going to be able to do four laps like that. So if you cross the line in the show at 50-50, that still means you got a 50% chance of making it. Mm -hmm. And that's what you had. And that's why I didn't back off. Um, although now that I realize, if I had think in... I was very optimistic. If I had think in, if in reality terms, I had zero chance to make it. The way the car behaved in lap one, it was there was no way. But you can't. But even have today, that. yeah. If I had zero chance of making it, I would keep going. <laughs> you have to try. Yeah. It's your one opportunity. It's your one shot. So. It was bad, man. What can I say? At At what point do you start to get the sense of like the repercussions that'll follow? over the next couple of weeks and months? Oh, immediately. It was just f f terrible. Just uh, painful emotionally uh, for everybody, for the team, not being able to get the money. Then we start to, we did some races after that and we had no budget. And the, the sponsor of uh, tourism said, you know, well, the deal was to raise the 500. You guys are not raising it. So the money problems started to show up. Yeah. What do you hear as you come to a slide? To me, it, I imagine it's eerily silent after you hit. No, it wasn't silent because I hit many times and it was like sliding. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> the okay. question's ruined. Yep. Um, <laughs> was it quiet? Were you there with your thoughts? Nope. Just nope. a lot of just, fire and just spitting and Watching fluids. everything go by. Yeah. What are you thinking as you're sliding to a yeah. stop? As you... Uh, hit the wall you bounce off the next wall it finally just starts to slide to a stop what's the first thing going through your mind ah uh, it was just the worst feeling of sadness knowing that i hadn't made it it was like that's it you didn't make it uh just very sad very 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 sad and frustrated anytime i've ever crashed whether it was my fault or someone else's my first thought is I just crashed a race car and everyone saw it and uh, that'll be forever, you know, and that's just crashing, whether it's a race practice or whatever, but you have the added stress and pressure of the team is now going to be very hard up financially. You're not going to make the race. So it's not just the embarrassment of crashing, but 
all the other things that are building upon it because it's the Indy 500. Yeah, and because the team had worked so hard and we had become when you have when you're in situations like that, you become even more united yeah. than when you're in easier or situations. You know, it just happens. So I felt like when I crashed that everybody was on board with me inside the car when I crashed. Every single member of the team, the the sponsor, Flavio, my manager, Antonio, we were all in that car when we crashed. And I just, you know, felt completely disaster, you know, just totally. Do you remember the first thing you said to Tyler after? No. You have to go to medical after you make contact with the wall. Then you, then you have this process of going from medical to your team's garage. What was in your head? I think that's kind of erased of my, my mind. Really. Yeah. It's like uh, I, when you have such a hard emotion hit you like that after all this work you had done, you sort of enter like into this zombie mode. And like it, it's funny that I had never thought about it, but now that you ask me, it's like, what did you? I don't remember. It's like you just no. It's like your brain said, I just went through the process, you know. Yeah. But I wasn't inside my my body at that point. Yeah, my mind. I guess so. Yeah, you just want to be done. Yeah. I remember perfectly, you know, after uh, you know an hour or two later when we were in the garage and everybody gave some words and. I remember a lot of the things a lot of guys said, but not not after the crash, what happened and this and what I dealt with. And I just went through the process like, I don't want to know more about this stuff. Right. So Tyler Tadovic and Pacific Coast, this whole season was based on a promise of continuous funding from the Mexican Tourism Board. Mm -hmm. It's not like they wrote this check all at once. No. And the additional blow of prize money. From yeah. the Indy 500, which is substantial. For sure. So what happens next? So, of course, the moment we don't qualify, we try to get some money that was supposed to come to us. And right. in their rightfully so, they said, well, the contract says that you have to raise the Indy 500. You know, you, you didn't it's do like, it. you're not going to race in it. Or you're not going to, you, you know, you didn't do it. Or you're, so the, the problem started. Right, because they didn't pay what they had to pay. So these next series of installments are now gone. Yeah, they're gone. Flavio Abed is getting some money here and there to keep the team afloat and sending a little bit of cash here, a little bit of cash there to do whatever races we could with that or something. Until, well, that's it. You know, the the money ran out and Tyler had to go bankrupt pretty much and sell everything. And Tyler went into also, I think, some money problems because of that because he had already putting a lot of putting in a lot of effort and and everything just went under so what was the big shot the big chance to really make it becomes well, the thing that if really we had made it into the 500 mm -hmm. like you said it would have been a different not that we would have had a lot of money but we could have had money to keep going at least a little while longer uh because we would have gotten the prize money from making the race. We would have gotten the sponsorship money from racing in the race. You, everything is like snowball. And, you know, you're already there. You're making it. You know, maybe you get a chance to some guys you were talking to get some more money from them and and you keep the ball rolling. So the fact that we didn't make it just complete disaster for everybody. Yeah. 
for whatever reason, um, the team decides, okay, they're, they, they could have just bailed at this moment when the writing's on the wall. This is not good. Um, they want to keep the team going, so they then run on a limited Tyler road did racing everything yeah. to keep going. We did, we did not only did road, we did uh, Milwaukee, yeah. and we did uh, Dallas, yeah. the Ovals. And, um, yeah, Tyler did everything, everything he could to keep that team going. And uh, I know it was a big sacrifice because shit, there was no money and I, I don't even know how he was getting things done. But in the end, everything backfired because it ended up with a big debt, I think, or something. You'll have to ask him better. But, yeah. Um, and you guys still had good runs. Like Sonoma, you made the fast six. Yeah. In a car that should not have been in the top 12. Impossible. Top 15. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we had potential. I mean, uh, and in a car that we had no experience, the engineer uh, was also very good, but he didn't know that chassis, you know? He could. He knew how to do a champ he, car. He, yeah, yeah, he knew how to do a champ car very well. But but yeah, we, we had some good runs. I mean, but... Uh, like like everything if you show up in racing in a team that has no money and no experience and with a car that's not fully fully developed with like you know where i've been in good teams where they you know they do seven post trick tests non-stop they go to the wind tunnel they do these the engineers are working on shock absorbers and this and that all those little details what make a race car go fast then if you don't do it you have no chance we worked on uh, we're working raising money for 2009 to be there on the full season yourself and Pacific Coast uh-huh yeah. together and uh, unfortunately you know the big crisis came in at the end of 2008 beginning of 2009 companies were not spending any money at all in racing whether it was in Mexico or the United States and uh, everything when became impossible there was no IndyCar race in Mexico anymore back then we from 2002 to 2007 there was a Mexican uh, Grand Prix with the champ cars or the Monterey race from 2001 to 2006 I was the only Mexican doing uh, IndyCar or champ car back then and sort of the sponsors didn't see it didn't see it as popular or as a good possibility as it was before having the Mexican race you know that created a big deal do you think that indie crash didn't help um believe it or not even if I had made it into the Indy 500 I don't think we would have probably been able to get any money for 2009 just because you knew the result wasn't going to be good because of the crisis the financial crisis the fact that there was no race in mexico the the way the companies started behaving uh, as far as what they were spending especially in marketing uh so yeah i don't think that would have been relevant for us to be able to continue in 2009 but it would have been relevant for us to continue in 2008 with some better results yeah. doing probably the rest of the season mm -hmm. Well, the more times you're on track and the more more experience you're getting with that car, maybe the results show up and then sponsors might be more interested. But that is a terrible time to not have a good season in the history of our sport. Of course, it's very bad. And then also the truth is because we were in such uh, a limited amount of money, 
said that it didn't matter how much time we spent with the car everything was just going downhill because we had nothing to develop mm -hmm. with you know mm -hmm. nothing substantial to do some proper development with this car but let's face it here in 2022 we've been educating on you on some of the good and bad of uh, sports car racing because mm -hmm. you haven't been in a car since then correct pretty much uh i've done some racing uh like nascar mexico or here but uh i'll tell you what i have worked and i'm still working and uh it's happened to me in the past where i managed to get back to somewhere i have i have already been years later so i'll i'll, I'll never give up on trying to do the, the indy 500 again so 15 years later you're still trying to do it yeah and i'll keep trying uh and i'll keep trying i mean i uh <laughs> that was good actually <laughs> right into it yeah, yeah, yeah. and for and, 300 grand and um the good thing is that maybe you could be 55 and still race it you know mm -hmm. and uh, dixon, I, dixon will be doing it until he's like uh -huh. you know, 60 62 yeah if he if he could he, um, yeah if he doesn't want to quit he could <laughs> and, he, and i guarantee you he'd be able to win it every time <laughs> I mean, tony canon is 75 years old yeah. right now yeah and yeah. still doing it elio yeah. won at 47 last year right that was 10 years ago <laughs> um so yeah it's something that i'll never give yeah. up on doing and uh i've had many dreams that i've never given up on that i've managed to fulfill so i don't see why not this one although it's it's hard yeah. and it gets more complicated every year but if there's one thing i've found out in my life is that nothing is impossible because when i started racing every told me was everybody told me it was impossible like impossible same same yep. right yep. my family my friends teachers teachers yeah. like what are you doing there? You yeah, know, no, no. Just get a real job. Go to college. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. And nothing is impossible. Yeah. So we're sitting here in 2022 talking about 2008 Indy 500 qualifying. When you look back at that experience overall with PCM, what are your takeaways? Uh, it was a it was a, an amazing lear, uh, experience. Uh, I learned a lot. I learned about a lot about unity. I learned about a lot about team effort and and uh, and um, I learned a lot about uh, just friendship because during those hard times uh, friendship becomes even more solid, you know. So even though I don't see these guys, I haven't seen them in a while. I consider them family. It's just it was a real bond that was done to it, and so I take away just. A bunch of guys that never never gave up, just did you know tried it to till the end. So instead of saying this guy did this wrong or that person did this wrong, it no. seems like you're looking back going it just didn't work out. But we tried exactly, exactly. I it, there's no one to blame. Uh, I think we all. I what I take away from that it, it was a whole group of people and a team just giving it their best effort in order in order to succeed and that's the one thing i'm confident sometimes you you know you do something or you do a race with a team or this and that and you know you know someone didn't give it their best efforts you know someone you know, was not focused i didn't see that in not one single member of this team everybody gave it their best and that's what counts for me
Was that your worst day at a racetrack? Yeah, for sure. Didn't even have to think about it. Huh? You didn't even have to think about it. You yeah, no. No. You described, when we talked on the phone setting this whole up, you didn't just say it was the worst day at the racetrack. You said it was the worst day of your life. Yeah. Probably. Until this one. This one? This until one this interview. Yeah, until yeah. we came. This one is good. Until it's aired. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just the fact that you guys came all the way to Mexico City is a big deal. You hear that, fans? We came all the way yeah. to Mexico City. Just when you complained <laughs> that we didn't get Carlos Slim while we were here. Yeah. So, yeah. Can you imagine? Whoever. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you get Sergio Perez? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Some will always complain. Always. Yes. Always. Welcome. Should have gotten Fernandez. <laughs> Literally, we get Mario Andretti. What about AJ Foyt? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Nobody's doesn't happy. Matter. Never. Never. Uh, what would you say about Tyler and everything he went through for this? Oh, man, Tyler, I know he had some tough times because he had a family to feed. And um, I know he, that a lot of this money that he needed to to use for his family, he was using it for the race team to keep it afloat. And in fact, I know what, when the team went under, like whatever helmets I had left or suits, you know, they, they sold them in order to get some money back. And I don't blame him. It's just part of the deal. But um, I think the worst blow for Tyler is, I think, is that, just like he saw, like I saw it was my one big shot to do the Indy 500 and eventually, you know, being full-time in IndyCar and eventually win it. I think Tyler, this was his one shot to have his own IndyCar team. And it was a big deal because it was going to be, it was now his team. And if things started to perform, he'd still be owning a team and who knows you know maybe right now he would have been a IndyCar champion or Indy 500 champion but that was his one shot to be an IndyCar team owner I imagine we'll have fans ask why we decided to tell this story what would you say to that why should we tell this story about that event you know it's a great question when you when uh when you called me I says you know we want to tell this story it's like normally people don't tell stories about the people that didn't make it, you know. People tell the success stories. But you, Sean, mentioned once one comment that I thought made sense. Like, okay, only three, 33 cars make it, but the 34th car is important. That guy has a story to tell and why, you know, because people don't understand how hard it is for the people that don't make the race. It's... It's harder than anything. And I think that's why you should tell the story because just not making the race makes for a, a huge story of, okay, it's disappointing or it's maybe like a drama movie. Not, not every movie has to be happy, happy ending. But I think the guys that go to the Indy 500, try to qualify and didn't make it and don't make it, I bet you they have some amazing stories about it. Do you think it should stay 33 cars or should they just open it up to 34, 35? No, I think it should be just 33 like it's always been with tradition. So tradition and, to you matters. Yeah, tradition matters. And bump day is fun. You know, before when there used to be 40 cars or even more trying to make it, uh, bump day was a big deal because I, I, I watched the 500 since I was small. I, the, the stands were full of fans watching bump day because so many things would happen during that day and it's a very exciting day and also uh making into the 500 counts 
I mean, look at you had. It matters if you make it in. It's like you yeah, accomplished it. Yeah. You, you made it. You know, look at a couple few years back, like Fernando Alonso didn't make it. You know, and like that happens in in the 500. Right. Like it's not an easy place to 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 race in. I think the reason this story was important to us is that we hear stories about Fernando Alonso doesn't make it, but he goes on to then <laughs> yeah, have doesn't care. five more years in F1 and, yeah, and, yeah. and Roger Penske doesn't make it <laughs> and then the owns the series. <laughs> but some teams don't make it and that's it. And they lose their house mm-hmm. and, or they have, they struggle to, to keep going as a, as a driver in IndyCar. And, and so when we talk about, Oh, hopefully we get 33 cars and no one cares about bump day or we talk about guaranteeing positions. Does that do a disservice to somebody like you or to Tyler? When you talk about... When we start hearing people talk about maybe modifying or not caring about the idea of bumping, that we guarantee oh. spots or we don't care if there's 34 cars. Right. Does that do a disservice to you or to Tyler or people who've given their lives trying to make this race? Yeah, because it's this race has been going for over 100 years. And then... The fact that you are one of those 33 cars that made it is a big deal. I mean, every one of them is, and the teams and the effort and that was taken into making it means a lot. So if you were to open more spaces on the grid, it wouldn't be the same to be in the 500, you know? Or to guarantee spots or Or whatever. to guarantee spots, the same. It, it wouldn't mean the same to be in the Indy 500. I mean, you have to earn your way there. And, and that's what makes it what it is. And okay, I didn't make it, but hey uh, at least i tried but but i think it's it's important that you have to really earn your way into making it and yeah you know this year they struggle to even make it to 33 cars or it's been the the case in in a couple of years like that but uh it's still maybe in the future there'll be more cars and bump day will be what it was again and, and all those stories and drama and things that things like this you know would happen but you don't want to be part of it again, I'm sure. No. <laughs> no, no, that's one thing. I would never, ever, that's one thing. I don't care. I would never go into the Indy 500 with a team that's not in the top, one of the top teams. Like I would have to get a, enough money to go to a Andretti, uh, you know, uh, you know, Ganassi or ECR Penske wouldn't or take any money, but yeah, ECR, ECR or... Yeah. Uh, McLaren, someone... It's got to be a full-time entry. It's got to be a team that runs full-time exactly. cars. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what? What? It, how much does it cost to race with you, you know, with the best equipment? This much, okay. I would never go to, to do it again in, to see, just to make the show. Yeah, it sounds like that was a pretty traumatizing month. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Can you remember the worst day of your life? Actually, no, I can't remember. Right. And he knew right away. Well, no, because I physically can't remember that day. Oh, well, it, came, it wasn't the worst day. <laughs> <laughs> There's no pain. Mine ended at a guardrail. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Kind of blank. Um, yeah. If you could describe not making the Indy 500 in one word, what would it be? The first one comes to mind, sadness. Okay, so we once were told by a sports car team in Massachusetts. Yep. That uh, tacos don't have cheese on them. Here in Mexico City, what would you say, Mario Dominguez? What team is that? Especially you take it from a guy from Massachusetts. What's the matter with you? (laughs) So are you saying, Will Turner, cheese can be on tacos? 
cheesy sun tacos nonstop. <laughs> Can you look in that camera and say, Will Turner? Will cheese. Turner, you put cheese on every taco you want, and you create. Sometimes you just say, I want the fillet taco with cheese, without cheese. With cheese comes on every taco. Can you also tell him what your driver ranking is? Because he he hires silvers, so. I got just today. I got a silver driver rating. So yeah, dude, you never put cheese on anything. Don't worry about but it. But you do put silver on everything. I'm finished. Memories filling up my mind, and I can't seem to push him back. This time's ingrained my mind, and I just can let it go. How did lose the way through the things that really matter? These complications spin my mind, but I know I gotta keep pushing through. Yeah, I keep doing my own thing. Yeah, never looking back again. I can get it, I can make it, yeah, I know it, and I'm never looking back again. Yeah, never looking back again. Yeah, I know it and I'm never looking back 